My name is Dr. Kerry Gelb, the host of Open Your Eyes, the documentary. Uh, today, I have Dr. Derek DeSilva with me, who was in the film and one of the stars of our film. The COVID virus 19 is in 177 countries and territories. It's affecting over 350,000 people worldwide. Today we're going to talk about antiviral nutrition and strategies, not necessarily direct at COVID-19 because there's not a lot of research on that, but there are things we could do to protect ourselves against viruses. Currently, there are more than 80 clinical trials underway to see what we could do to have strategies against COVID-19. We are testing remedies around the world with such things as IV vitamin C, stem cells, HIV drugs, anti-malaria drugs. There's also research on vitamin D and quercetin. Uh, Dr. DeSilva, who happens to be a friend, a very good and close friend, he's an internist in Edison, New Jersey. He's been an internist for over 31 years. He's on, uh, he's on staff at Raritan Bay Medical Center in Perth Amboy. He's a teaching uh, physician at JFK Medical Center in Edison. He's the past chairman of the Age Management Medicine Group, AMMG, which is like a tongue twister for me. He's the past president of the American Nutraceutical Association. Uh, he's won a number of awards, including the best doctor for the past 19 years by Castle Connolly. He's our medical correspondent for our local TV, New Jersey News 12. And I love his, I love his Health Matters, his little five-minute segment or so that he does uh, during that show. I, in fact, I, I've been a guest and I, I've been very honored to be a guest on that. He's formulated over 350 dietary supplements. He's, he's an author, I could go on and on, but I don't, I don't wanna waste all his time. And I wanna thank you, Dr. DeSilva, for joining me. Thank you very much, Dr. Gelb, as always, for the invitation to be with you. You know, uh, during our film, when we recorded you for Open Your Eyes, you really brought the house down. The, uh, when you speak, everybody's on the edge of their seat. I don't know if it's a gift, if you study how to speak, but how do you do that to make what you say so interesting? It's my mother's fault. You know, when I was, uh, believe it or not, I was probably about nine years old. And my mother said to me, your mouth is going to be your gift and it's going to be your downfall. So I'm going to teach you how to speak. And she sent me to elocution classes when I was a very, very young child. So I don't know if that's what it is, but my mom recognized it. And that's, that's where we are today. You know, you've been a speaker for my old arts group. You've given three-hour lectures, and people are on the edge of the seat on the last five minutes of the three hours. So I really have to congratulate you. You know how to put things in a way that that makes it a very complicated topics to make it simple. Thank you. So I, I, I just want to thank you for that, for being such a good educator and educating me and my group. Let's start off with something very simple. What is a virus? 
We hear well, so much about viruses. I don't think the public even knows what a virus is. Well, a virus is, and, and you know, this is, this is very interesting. You know, the way bacteria, molds, viruses, they all work and react and respond differently. Do you know, uh, believe it or not, I don't know if you're aware of this, the audience may not be aware of this, but the bats, bats carry and harbor thousands of viruses on themselves and never get sick. There's been a lot of virologists, uh, st people, scientists who study uh, uh, viruses uh, that have been studying bats to find out what is it about bats that they don't get sick, but they carry all these viruses. This particular virus that we have, and most viruses, by the way, are parasitic. They need the human body in order to live and to survive. This particular virus, the COVID-19 virus, is an, what is called an RNA virus. So it replicates and it depends on the body in order to replicate and do all the damage that it really does. So is this a, a single virus or is it more than one virus put together? Well, from what I understand, the, the group of COVID viruses are, is, is a group. You know, there's various types of influenza A, various types of influenza B, and there are, I believe, between four and five different types of COVID viruses. This particular virus was, and the reason it's called COVID-19 is that, that it was quote unquote discovered or founded in 2019. And what was, what's been so unique about this is that it is, they're calling it the novel COVID-19 virus because it's a new virus. Within this category, they've found this new family member that was hidden or has been in hibernation or been away for, for centuries and all of a sudden shows up. So they don't really understand, was it a mutation? Where did it come from? And that's where all the quote unquote fear within the medical community is, is that they just don't know what the virility meaning how potent this thing really is. And that's why they're taking so many precautions and they're being so overtly cautious. So COVID-19 is a disease, but SARS-2 is the, is the virus. And if you could explain the difference, because it's very confusing. Well, the coronavirus is... Um, it is the COVID-19 is the name of the disease. It's not the name of the virus, if you will. There are certain viruses and there are certain diseases, you know, H1N1. Uh, uh, and, and all of these viruses, they're named accordingly. So what we have to do is we have to look at this and say, you know, the way I approach this, Dr. Gelb, is this. What I tell my patients is, Look, we have certain diseases, we have certain viruses, we have certain things that are out there. The bottom line is, is that be aware and be careful out there. And we're going to get into a little bit of prevention a little bit later. 
But all of these things are just, you know, to me, simple for the public get very complicated. And, and I like to bring this down to a level of, listen, just do the basics. You know, I, I go back to what you did in, what you were taught in kindergarten. You know, I, I heard, and I'll come back to this a little bit later. I'm getting a little bit off topic here. Apologize for that. But somebody said to me, you know, if nothing else, uh, I believe it was Dr. Sanjay Gupta on CNN said, wow, I've never seen so many men coming out of the bathroom wash, uh, and washing their hands. And I said to myself, seriously, how do you go to the bathroom and not wash your hands? And I say to people, look, before I touch anything down there, I want to wash my hands before and I want to wash my hands after. Think about that. Think about that. I'm in the airport. You know how much I travel. I'm in the airport. You know, I've probably done 50,000 miles this year in the, air, on the, in the air already, which I've stopped, by the way. Um, but when I'm in the airport, I'm going through security. I'm, you know, handling my bags. I'm touching things in the airport, the railings, et cetera. Before I use the restroom, I want to wash my hands before I touch my private parts, but also afterwards. It's, for me, more important to wash before and after and getting back to the basics. So I'm sorry I got off the topic there for a second, but I, I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget to say that. No, talking about washing your hands, talk to me about soap. Is soap enough? Do we need alcohol? Do we need tricycline? What do we need to clean our hands with? And what should we dry our, how should we dry our hands? For many years, people have done, this is every single flu season, there's a study comparing soap and water to, to all of the hand sanitizers and things like that out there. Across the board, it has always come out that using soap and water is best. Here's why. When you use soap, and, and you remember all of the oil spills and things like that that have been out there, what do they use to clean the oil off these birds to save them? They use soap. Why? Because, because the soap is called a saponification or a saponifying agent. What soap does is that it breaks up the fat. And the viruses have a fatty layer or a fatty coat around them. That is why soap and water is the best thing when it comes to breaking that, that fatty outer coating of the viruses and destroying the virus. You don't need to use hand sanitizers and alcohol. Now, if you're at the airport or if you're, in, if you're out in the public and you need to do a quick walk, a rinse, okay, use the hand sanitizer. But again, don't need to go crazy with that. Wash your hands, use soap and water. And one other thing, uh, Dr. Gelb, that I want to mention that's very important. A lot of people don't know how to wash their hands. And I, and I want you to think about this, by the way. How many of you wash your thumbs? Think about this. You have water dripping down, and how do you wash your hands? You wash your hands like this, right? How many of you 
wash your thumbs. You don't. The thumbs are a very important piece when it comes to grabbing things, holding things. So also, after you wash your hands, the thumbs are remotely involved, make sure that you wash your thumbs for about 20 seconds also, because those are your fingers too. So be, make that part of it. And when you're washing your hands, and I'm going to stand up here for a minute, when you wash your hands, you have the soap and water that is coming down from a faucet. You should be washing your hands downward. So let the water drip on the top of your hand and drip down, all right? Again, these are all things that people just don't pay attention to that we need to pay attention to as that water drips down. I remember during, my, during our uh, training, when we were in surgery, we had to wash all the way up here. You don't need to do that. You really don't need to do that. But basically from your wrists down is where you need to wash and don't forget to wash your thumbs. And you said 20 seconds. 20 seconds, 20 seconds. So talk about drying your hands. Another really, really good point. What, what I uh, typically do is once you dry your hands, and typically what, what I do is I will use a paper towel and also dry in between. You have to wash in between and dry in between and get them as dry as you can. You don't want moisture to linger on your hands, all right? Uh, I don't know if you had anything else that you want to add on that as far as drying your hands. Did you have another? Hint? Well, I wanted to ask you about the, the blowers that, you, that they have like in the airport that are blowing your hands dry as opposed to using a paper towel. If you could make a comment about that. Here's what I do. I use a combination of the two. Here's why. I will use the blower initially. Okay, now some people reverse that, but the reason I use the blower initially is because I want to get most of the moisture off and I want to use the paper towel to open the door. Now, if I'm at the airport and most of the airports don't have doors, right? They have that, that partition that you go around, etc. If I'm at the airport, I just use the blower because I don't need to now grab a handle unless I'm specifically going into a bathroom that does have a handle, then I will always take a paper towel with me to, to use that to open the door. Great, let's talk about, let's go back for a minute. Let's talk about some of the symptoms of viral disease. If you could, if you could just mention what kind of symptoms do we get when we're sick and we have a virus? And how do we know if it's something even more serious like the COVID-19 or maybe a regular flu or some other type of virus or a regular corona, run-of-the-mill coronavirus, which is probably 10 to 15% of regular colds that we get during the year? Right. Uh, differentiation, especially now coming in, depending again also on the time of the year, uh, here in New Jersey at this time, you know, we're in the very early spring, so a lot of trees are blooming. You know, how do you differentiate between a virus, a bacteria, and allergies? That's a, that's a tough call. The one thing I will tell you about, about bacterias and viruses, uh, symptom-wise, is that you don't have 
itchy, watery eyes. Itchy, watery eyes are very, very common when it comes to uh, allergies, okay? So that's number one. You can get a low-grade fever with and a cough with allergies, but itchy, watery eyes are very specific for allergies. How do you differentiate between these type of viruses and what are some of the symptoms? What the most common symptoms, signs that you will have, especially with most viruses, with most flus, if you will, is a low-grade fever. You know, you don't typically get a fever up to 102, 103. You will get a fever of 102, 103, because on top of viruses, when the immune system becomes weakened, you can get, you can get uh, 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 you know, what we call co-infections, which are bacterial infections on top of that. When you get those high fevers, you're probably going into some kind of a bacterial infection. So viruses, typically low-grade, and you can go up to 101 sometimes. You don't typically go that much higher. You can go to, you know, 102, 103 is very unusual. Um, you will get you know, I mean, you just feel, blech. You, you know, your joints ache, your body aches, your skin hurts, uh, you have a cough, you have a sore throat. These are some of the typical symptoms that we're starting to see with these, with viruses in general. Now, the one thing that I heard today, that I read today, was that with the COVID-19 virus, people are losing their sense of smell and taste. Now, there's a very, very specific reason for that. The reason for that is because the body is getting completely depleted of zinc. Zinc controls your smell and your taste. So if you are starting to get symptoms of losing smell, losing taste. One of the NBA players said that's one of the first thing that happened to him was he lost his sense of smell and taste. Well, the reason for that was, was that these guys, these young guys are very deficient in zinc. This is why a lot of these ball players are, are, are always getting sick. They're always getting the colds and flus. They don't do the simple basic things. They're 20 years old. They think they're not going to get sick but they do, but that's a zinc deficiency. Probably over 30% of the population is deficient in zinc. If you could talk about what kind of foods have zinc in it that we should be eating. Well, the, 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 the zinc foods that I, look, most of the vegetables have not only zinc, but they have so many other uh, nutrients. This is why I like vegetables. You know, I call vegetables um, a, a pharmacy, a, a potpourri of, of nutrients. Specifically, I really like the greens. So there's magnesium, there's iron, there's zinc, there's calcium. So many of those, those are my favorites. I don't know if you have any favorite zinc uh, vegetables that you like, but I really like the vegetables in general. Yeah, I mean, pumpkin seeds, a lot of the seeds have zinc. 
So yes. I try to... You're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. The, Z, uh, the seeds, uh, pumpkin seeds, also um, any of the nuts uh, have, have good amounts of zinc. They have a lot of uh, copper, not copper, um, uh, zinc, and I'm drawing a blank on the other one. But zinc is, is, is found in a lot of the seeds and things like that, yes. Selenium, selenium, that's the other thing I was trying to think of. Uh, selenium is another, I just took some selenium, I'm in my home. I took some selenium this morning, uh, I took my vitamin D this morning, and I took a whole bunch of other things to really try to keep myself healthy. Yeah, I take 200 micrograms of selenium, uh, selenium myself per day as an antiviral strategy. And now I want to ask you a question about fever, since we brought up fever before. Mm -hmm. You know, you help bring integrative medicine to mainstream. Uh, you, as you, you, teach, you teach residents and you talk to them about nutrition. Uh, there is, it is a little controversial in some areas of integrative medicine that to let, the fe let somebody have a fever because that's the best way of fighting illness because that's the body's way of fighting illness. And then on the other hand as well, we don't wanna be uncomfortable, let's take Tylenol, Advil, or aspirin. Where, where do you fall on that? And I don't think it's an absolute one way or another, but give us the bo both sides of the, the, the story on that. Well, <laughs> you wanna talk about controversy, <laughs> Dr. Kelb. That is probably one of the most controversial things and it's really interesting that you said this that you asked me that question because uh you know one of the one of the cardiologists called me the other day and he said to me he asked me that exact question because it has been out in the liter it's been out in the public you know on facebook etc cetera, etc cetera, that we should not be drinking liquids cold liquids it should be room temperature or heat because heat kills viruses all right i need to take my glasses off for this to answer this question here's here's my feeling i do personally okay i'm going to tell you what i do personally if i have a low-grade fever and i'm talking low-grade if it goes above 102, you got to do something. Okay, that's that's serious. But if I'm running 100, 100 100.4, 100.6, up to, and I will say up to 101, I don't take anything personally. Because what I know is happening is that heat, internal heat, is doing something it's our body's reaction to the infection so personally i don't do anything here's what i do know when i finished medical school right after i finished medical school i spent a year and a half at chop children's hospital of philadelphia in the department of anesthesia studying cerebral blood flow and at the time this was 1983 1982-1983 remember i don't know if you remember rye syndrome rye syndrome right. children were dying after they were given aspirin 
And what was happening was, was that it was poisoning the, the liver and it was increasing blood flow to the brain and they were dying because of that. So it was causing a problem. So what I tell people, and there was another study that recently came out from the UK, I believe it was reported in the British Medical Journal, that said that we should not be using um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen for people with fevers. I don't know the exact mechanism of the reason of why they said that, but for me, the, the non-steroidals, along with things, because they have an aspirin-like effect, may be having dissimilar effect on increasing blood flow, and they were saying increased viral replication, all right? So the virus was getting worse. Now, that's a lot of information I just gave you, but let me simplify what I just said. Personally, if I have a fever, and I don't have any risk factors with seizures or anything like that. Now, this is different for children, by the way, okay? This is different for children. So I'm talking about adults. If you've got a fever, and if you're able to tolerate it up to about 101, personally, I let it go. I let it go. Again, this is very controversial. This is very controversial. Most medical people, MDs like myself, will say, no, you got to treat it. I let it go a little bit longer. Children are different, by the way, all right? Children that have uh, infantile seizures, all bets are off. You got to treat them because they're going to seize if they get fevers, so you have to treat them accordingly. And I personally use, I tell my patients to use acetaminophen. Uh, again, follow directions. Don't overdo the acetaminophen. Once that goes away, once your seizure goes away, uh, remember acetaminophen gets cleared through the liver. So you have to be very careful after this is all over to do a liver cleanse also. Shisandra, milk thistle, glutathione, and acetylcysteine, et cetera. Just say that one more time for the liver cleanse. What do you do for a liver cleanse? What I particularly do, and, and in fact, I'm doing that now. Why is it so important to do something for your liver. Well, remember, for all of you that are not feeling well, you're doing stuff, and the other thing I don't want to forget, uh, Dr. Geld, is to talk about diet. And I know you're going to ask me about that, knowing you, so we'll get to that. But the reason is, when you are not feeling well, if you will, you are, there's toxins in your body, there's chemicals, your body's producing, there's going through a lot of oxidative stress. There's a lot of waste product that's being produced within your body. It ha you have to get rid of it. And what are the three ways you get rid of waste? Number one, through the airways, right? Breathing it out. Number two, through your skin, sweating it out. Number three, passing your water or through your kidneys. And number four is your liver. Everybody forgets, you know, everybody says, well, okay, it's good for you to sweat, uh, get in an infrared sauna, uh, make sure you're passing your urine, make sure you're drinking plenty of water. How many people talk about the livers? And then you go through this, this sequence 
of, oh, I feel better, and then something else comes along, and now the liver is stressed again. You know, we're changing the oil, but we're not changing the filters. There's no way I'm going to change the oil in my car without changing the filter. And your filter of your body is your liver. So you've got to make sure that you clean and cleanse your liver. And the way you do that are simple things. Um, dandelion. Why do dandelions grow in your yard in the spring? Because dandelions are used as a liver cleanser. It's a cleaner. Ancient tradi tra uh, traditional Chinese medicine, uh, Native Americans, they pick those dandelions, they boil them, and they drink the water. Now, I'm not suggesting you do that because God only knows what's on your lawn with all the chemicals you've put on there, all right? But dandelion, milk thistle, or silymarin, shisandra, which is my favorite, N-acetylcysteine, glutathione, these are all simple liver cleansers. Can you give us some doses for some of those that you just spoke about? A lot of these uh, are, you know, what I tell my patients is this. A lot of the, the, the dosages are different for so many different products. The simplest way to dose supplements is to follow the directions on the boxes. You yourself said, I take 200 micrograms of uh, selenium every day. Great. And that's probably the directions on your box is to take one of those a day. If it's 100 micrograms, it probably says take one or two of those a day. It's, it, you're not going to find a 400 microgram selenium because you know the dose is usually around between two and 400. So what I tell my patients is follow the directions that are on the boxes because they're dosed accordingly. I, I, I hope I'm not oversimplifying that for you. No, that's great. You mentioned infrared sauna. I, I actually have one in my house and I use it every other day or sometimes every day. Uh, talk about how that could be used for detoxification and as an antiviral strategy. I love infrared saunas. I could kick myself. I mean kick myself because somebody offered me an infrared sauna many, many, many years ago. And I said, no, nah, I don't have to put it. And I have room in my house to put it. But it was just a very bad mistake uh, on, on my part. I love infrared saunas. And the way infrared saunas work, and by the way, you have to be careful with using infrared saunas. If you have high blood pressure, if you have cardiovascular disease, you have to be very, very careful that you don't stay in there for too long. And what's too long? No more than 10 minutes. If you've got heart disease, diabetes, uh, heart, uh, excuse me, high blood pressure, heart disease, uh, anything to do with blood flow, where you've got compromised blood flow, you have to be very, very careful because what it does is that it vasodilates, meaning it opens up all of the blood vessels and basically mimics exercise. So if you feel like you're, you're, you're exercising and because of the vasodilation, because of the opening of the blood vessels, that's why you sweat. So sweating, basically, that's what it does. It, it warms the core, and you start to vasodilate, and you start to, and this is why the heat killing the viruses 
and bacteria, by the way, also, not only viruses, but molds, uh, viruses, bacteria, all get destroyed with infrared saunas. Uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, you know, she speaks a lot on infrared sauna and how it, it cuts the risk of a heart attack by about 50%. She cites these Finnish studies because in Finland, people use saunas all the time. And people that go in the sauna four or five days a week versus one day a week or none actually could cut their risk of a heart attack or all-cause mortality by about 50%. And I just always found that fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I know that there's good data, uh, that there's good data on saunas. I didn't realize that, that that was that significant. Let me just mention one other thing that I think we have to be very careful with here. We have got to get away, and especially at this time, we have got to get away from our American arrogance when it comes to studies and data, okay? Just because it wasn't done in the United States does not mean that the British, the Germans, the French, the Australians, etc., are not doing good studies. We have to, you know, for example, British Medical Journal or, 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 or the European Journal of, of uh, Cancer. I mean, these are great journals. And we hear medical doctors in this country dismiss some of the data, some of the studies that are being done abroad. Please not let's, let's not, uh, let's not let our medical arrogance get in the way of looking some of it, at some of this data and some of the studies that come from other countries, whether it be the COVID virus or data that's being done on that or saunas from Finland showing that there's decreased mortality in heart uh, from heart to heart disease by using a sauna. So let's look at what you're doing for your family and yourself for prevention as we're going through this epidemic, this pandemic. What I'm doing is number one, and, and you've heard me say this, Dr. Geld, numerous times, is your diet. Look, a lot of people are home. They're trying to be active. They're under a tremendous amount of stress, whether you realize it or not. Well, I'm not going to work. I'm not driving. You know, I'm not under stress. Yes, you are. You know how you're under stress? You're watching the news. Every time you watch the news, your adrenal glands are going bonkers. I mean, bonkers. They're going absolutely crazy. So the amount of cortisol that is released, the amount of oxidative stress is tremendous. And then you come downstairs in your house and you open up a bag of potato chips right? or eat a piece of chocolate. That's really not a good idea. You're at home. Use this time to cleanse and clean your body intermittent fasting, the benefits, the tremendous benefits of intermittent fasting. What does it do? Simple, autophagy or cellular cleaning, lowering insulin levels, increasing growth hormone levels. Do, if you don't know what intermittent fasting is, look it up and do that. 
That's number one. So your diet, what you're doing, so do what you, you're consuming. How often do you do intermittent fasting and how do you do it? And what I'll tell you how I do it. What I do with intermittent fasting is typically I would do it five to six days a week. I don't do it every day and I don't do it in any particular cycle. For example, six days on, one day off, six days, no. You have to change it up because you don't ever want your body to get used to a pattern. Because once it gets used to a pattern, that's not a good thing. You've got to make your body and your cells think. So I vary it. Sometimes I'll do it four or five days. Sometimes I'll do it for four days. Sometimes I'll do it for seven days, but I always change it up. So Monday through Thursday, uh, next day, next time it would be, you know, uh, Sunday to, 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 to Wednesday, whatever. I mix it up, but I try to do five days, minimum five days. And I do 16 hours. So I typically fast for 16 hours and eat for eight. So I typically will eat between noon and 8 p.m. or one or between noon and 9 p.m. depending on my work schedule. All right. That's typically what I do. What about you? I, I, I go to the gym in the morning. And just like you said with intermittent fasting, you don't want your body to get used to it. Just like exercise. You don't want to do the same exercise all the time. You have to change the exercise around. And I agree with you 100%. You have to change the intermittent fasting around. But I, take, I eat my last meal when I'm doing intermittent fasting about 4.35 o'clock. And then I'm done. So I'll eat a huge breakfast, you know, after the gym around 9.30, 10 o'clock. A big lunch around 3.30, 4 o'clock. And then, I, and then I'm done when I'm doing the intermittent fasting. If I have to eat something, it'll be a piece of celery or a carrot or something like that. But typically, it's not going to be anything. And if I need, and if you, I feel that's also one of the best strategies to lose weight is not to eat late at night. Now, I know I spoke to you about this in the past, and you mentioned that you can't go at night without eating, you personally. Now, so this isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. But I feel that for people that, that can do it, that need to lose weight, this is a good way of doing it. I agree with you. And you made a very good point, Dr. Kelp, is you have to do what works for you as far as your schedule, right? For me, I typically don't like to work out in the morning. I work out or I play tennis typically in the evening, all right? Because it's just the way my schedule is. So I will play tennis in the evening and I will eat after I come home, but I give myself enough time before I go to sleep, all right? So again, it, it, it's very, very, this is very, very personal, and you have to personalize it for you. So let's talk about diet. What do you think is the best type of diet to eat, or is there a best type of diet? Well, I, I don't think that there's, you know, the Mediterranean diet, all the data and all the studies have shown that the Mediterranean diet is, is, is by far the best when it comes to metabolism, et cetera. And what is it, right? It's, 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 it's good fats, it's nuts, it's seeds, it's fruits and vegetables, it's a little bit of protein. Um, that's, that's from, in my opinion, that's really the way to go. So when you're eating uh, and you're eating a, a Mediterranean diet, how often will you cheat and have a piece of pizza or something that 
a piece of cake that's really not healthy for you? What I tell, what I practice myself is this. <clears throat> I eat and I tell my patients this, don't eat like it's your birthday every day. Your birthday is once a year. Eat, look, grandchildren. I mean, you and I both have grandchildren. If it's my grand, one of my grandson's birthdays, I'm going to have a little piece of cake. I'm not going to eat the whole cake. I'm going to have a little piece of cake. I have dark chocolate in my home, 75% dark chocolate, but it's a little cube. It's a little teeny cube. And that's what I will have with some almonds if I need to cheat. Do I, will I eat a piece of pizza? Yes. And I can eat a whole pizza easily. I can easily eat a whole Me pizza. Too. Yeah, no problem. I have no, I mean, I, I have a voracious appetite. So eating a pizza for me is not a problem. But if I'm going to have a slice of pizza, I'm going to have a very thin crust, vegetable, pizza, and I'm going to limit the amount of cheese that's on my pizza. I'm going to try to get the pizza from a place that's gluten-free uh, because they do have all of these things available. And I don't have a gluten sensitivity, by the way. Um, so again, you know, making choices. Now, if I'm on the road, and I'm at an airport, and there's really nothing there. Uh, the salads look terrible. I'll have a slice of pizza, and you know, I'll do it when I need to. I think, but in general, you know, we want to eat like a great grandmother ate. And uh, and thank you for the compliment, but I'm not a grandfather, grandparent yet. But hopefully, oh, I thought you were. No, that's okay. Not, no, that's okay. So I really want to talk about antiviral supplements. That's where you're really an expert. You've developed over 300 different products. You have your own line of products. Tell me what antiviral products that you're taking right now. And I'm really fascinated by this. And I'm also very disappointed that the media doesn't mention taking vitamin C or any type of selenium or quercetin or even a multivitamin or anything that we know that could be antiviral. It's really a shame that they don't say, you know, you lock yourself in your house, but take some vitamin C. What's the harm by telling people to do that? But what do you think? Oh, I completely agree with you, Dr. Gelb. I, I can't stress this enough. You know, over the past couple of weeks, since this whole thing has hit, we have been so busy with our supplement business because all of my pay, you know, people innately know that vitamin C is good for you. Why? Well, vitamin C is one of the most potent antioxidants that you can take. And it's way, way, way overlooked. Vitamin C, great idea. My top let, three. Let me, let me interrupt for just one sure. second. I'm sorry. Okay. I know you're humble, but tell us about your supplements, your supplement products. What, what supplements have you developed and what are your supplement products? Well, I've developed. So people, our listeners will know what they are. I've developed well over uh, probably 400 products right now. And uh, and if, you know, again, I, I'm not here to sell supplements. I, I'm here to give you advice to try to help you get through this whole thing. Um, if you want to get some, some good supplements, these are things that I personally take, and I'll go over that with you. You can go to www.cscharliesam, 
which st uh, CS stands for common sense dash supplements.com. So www.cscharliesam-supplements.com. So on there, uh, Dr. Gelb, what I have told my patients to do, I have a top three or top four, actually. Number one, probiotics. 70% of your immune system resides in your intestine. You want to stay healthy? Take a good probiotic. And we have a great probiotic. Vitamin D. There's very good data. In fact, I need to send this to you. On vitamin D, a friend of mine was, uh, used to work at the NIH and um, wrote an article on the role of vitamin D as an antiviral uh, and, and how it, not so much an antiviral, but how it kills the influenza virus, how it kills viruses in general. Vitamin D is a very, very potent antiviral and it, does, it works very well. But when you're using vitamin D, you have to make sure that you combine it with vitamin A and vitamin K2 to really get the benefits of the vitamin D. So we have something called ADK, all of those vitamin A, vitamin D, and vitamin K2 all together. Now, for those of you that remember uh, the old days, right, where we used to, we used to use A and D ointment when, the, when, our, when our children had the little rash on their butt or they had something going on on their body, it was A and D ointment. Why? Vitamin A and vitamin D have a synergistic effect, meaning they work together. So I combined vitamin A, vitamin D, and vitamin K2 together, all, all, all three together. The third one are omega-3s. Omega-3 fatty acids are really important to activate T cells, to activate the cells and activate our immune function within our body. Now, this is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose, okay? What I'm telling you is what I do with my patients what I'm personally doing now, what my sons are doing, what my family's doing, what my mom and dad, my whole, all of my loved ones, what all of us are doing right now is, is taking these immune products. You know, this is a very, very simple, a very important thing that we can all do. Don't forget your vitamin C. Vitamin C, I think, is also a really good idea. Um, adaptogens. I know you're a fan of adaptogens. These are things like uh, Endographus paniculata, uh, rhodiola. I mentioned Shisandra before for the liver. You know, my entire family, my wife that's here, she's, she takes all of this stuff too. And we have to stay healthy. So, but the top three, probiotics, ADK, and omega-3s. Those are my top three. And in fact, we have an immune bundle that we, we use, I use in my practice for my patients. So if we talk about some of the other ones, let's take a vitamin C, for example, as a preventative dose. Now, of course, we, there's nothing guaranteed. Uh, what would be the preventative dose of vitamin C that you would recommend? I take 1,000 milligrams three times a day, or I take the vitamin C powder, uh, which a teaspoon of the powder is about 5,000 milligrams. I take a half a teaspoon twice a day. Uh, so one strat one or two of those, but what do you think? What, what would your strategy be for vitamin C? My strategy for vitamin C, what I'm personally doing is, um, let me see, each one's a thousand. So I do about 6,000 a day. So right around where you are. 
Um, and remember, remember though, Dr. Gelb, that you and I are with patients, right? We, we're interacting with people very closely. And you, goodness gracious, you probably closer than I am when you're doing the, 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 uh, the eye exams. But I like to do, you know, I like to be a little bit more aggressive. And then if you start to get ill, if you start to feel sick, you're going to need to go 6,000, 8,000 milligrams a day. Uh, make sure you take it with a little bit of food. But I, I'm not afraid of vitamin C. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. They say to take it to bowel tolerance. Yes. Can you yes. explain what that means? Yeah. What that means, take it to bowel tolerance means a lot of times people will start using vitamin C and they'll start to get loose stools. Um, you know, you may get to, you'll get loose stools. You may have some diarrhea. Uh, that's what they mean by bowel tolerance. Once that happens, you need to just back off a little bit. Let's say you were doing 8,000 milligrams a day and you start to get loose stools. You may get a little bit of cramping um, and you're doing 8,000, back down to 6,000. And if you can tolerate that dose, continue on that dose because the what that's doing is that it's cleansing and cleaning your system out. Now, folks, listen, Dr. Gelb and I are on very much on the same page with this stuff, okay? You go talk to your medical doctor about this, and they're going to say, who told you that? These people are crazy. No. If you look this stuff up, you know, Dr. Linus Pauling won the Nobel Prize in Medicine, not once, twice. That man was not crazy. He is a Nobel, Nobel Prize laureate that was the biggest proponents of vitamin C. There's a reason for that. The Linus Pauling Institute always talks about vitamin C. This is not craziness. This is just pure logic. And, this is, and in fact, there's some data that I read. I don't know if you saw this, Dr. Gelb, that vitamin C IV coming out of China to treat some of these folks. In fact, at my office in, in Florida, I have, a, I have an office in Naples, Florida. Um, we do IV, there's there some IV therapies there. And I did IV vitamin C along with the Myers cocktail and the glutathione push for myself to keep myself healthy. Now, if somebody wanted to get IV vitamin C in New Jersey, are, are there places to do it or in different parts of the country? How do you find where you could do it? Because I know if you go into the hospital and you're on your deathbed and you ask for IV vitamin C, I doubt you're going to get it. No, no. New Jersey is a tough state. It's a tough state. I know very, very, I don't know anybody here in New Jersey that are doing IV vitamins. I don't know if you do, but... In, in, in Florida, all over the place, all over the place, and, and, it's, and, they, and it works. It just depends on the medical boards here. Yeah, they're, they're, people are a little bit more progressive in Florida. Well, yeah, and I mean, again, we're, like I said, we're in a pretty conservative state, so, you know, I mean, it, it's okay, but um, you can do some of this stuff orally. I mean, it's, 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 it's not a problem, uh, but it, it does work. It does work. And by the way, Dr. Gelb, if anything ever happens to me, you're on consult. I'm telling you that now to, to treat me. Uh, and you have full range to do whatever you want with me. All right. Just an FYI. I trust you. <laughs> you got it. I'll be there. You, you don't have to worry. So let's talk about back to vitamin D and getting your vitamin D serum tested. 
what number would you like, would you think is optimal for your vitamin D level? I'm glad you used the word optimal instead of the word normal. There's a difference between normal and optimal. And you've heard me say this before. There's, you know, Dr. Um, Alan Mintz said normal is a risk factor for disease. Dr. Alan Mintz was the, was the godfather of uh, age management medicine. And um, I remember hearing him speak, God rest his soul, many, many years ago. And he said, don't ever be normal. Don't ever be normal. You have to be optimal. So I want your vitamin D level between 60 and 80. And there's good data to suggest that once you get in that range, that is where your body really works optimally. So I keep my vitamin D level between 70 and 80. And so what dose would typically get you there? Personally, personally, my vitamin D level, uh, excuse me, my vitamin D dose, I take 10,000 IU per day now. But I check myself. I check myself two, three times a year just to make sure I'm not taking too much or I'm not taking enough. A safe dose for those of you that don't check your levels regularly is 5,000 IU a day, all right? So um, if you have access and you can really check your level a couple of times a year, okay, 10,000. Uh, in the summer, I back off to 5,000 because I'm out in the sun, uh, you know, I'm playing tennis, I'm outside a lot. I, I usually back down to 5,000. If I go to the beach, if, I, uh, if I'm at the pool, if I'm outside with, with, the, with the children or my grandchildren, then I don't even take any vitamin D that day in the summer. Winter, when I'm indoors and we're traveling and we're 10,000 IU a day, in the summer I back down. Personally, I back down to 5,000. I've seen people who take 5,000, 10,000, and they can't get their vitamin D number to budge above uh, 25 or 30. What do you think the reason is that? Well, there's, there's two reasons for that. Number one, there is they have a genetic defect. They, you know, there's, a, there's about 2 or 3% of the population, and I have a whole family, by the way, that has that problem. Um, they can't move their vitamin D level. So I have the entire family on 20,000 IU a day, and they still are in the 30, excuse me, in the 40 range. There's another genetic abnormality where if you check their total vitamin D levels, they are low, but their 1-hydroxy levels, 125-hydroxy levels are very high. That is another genetic abnormality. And I had this case, and in fact, I had to send, oh goodness, I'm drawing a blank on this gentleman's name. Um, Oh, he's the granddaddy of vitamin D, and he's on all the references. And Hollick, Michael Hollick? Michael Hollick, Dr. Michael Hollick from Boston. And, you know, we share a couple of patients, and I called Dr. Hollick, and I said, you know, I, I can't get this guy's level up. I went, he went up to Boston to see him, and that's what he had. He had a genetic SNP. He had an abnormality in his DNA that they can't metabolize and utilize vitamin D. And he said, don't worry about it. Don't overdose him. Um, just try to maintain him where he is, and he'll be fine. And we, there's been studies that show that 
putting your vitamin D level above 50 compared to people who have vitamin D levels below 30, you could decrease your risk of getting the flu or a cold by 45, 50%. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just, it's just a no brainer. I mean, that's just a no brainer, especially at this time of the year during cold and flu season, man, you got to keep those levels up. You've got to keep those levels up. So 10,000 IU, by the way, we have a 5,000 IU, we have a 10,000 IU, um, and either one, you know, I mean, that's, that's the best thing to do. Let's talk about quercetin. Can you mention about quercetin? I know that there was some effectiveness with quercetin against the SARS-1 virus. And how does that work? And I know it, a lot of people recommend it for allergies, but how does it work for being an antiviral? And, and do you recommend it? I don't use a lot of quercetin. I know you really like quercetin. Um, it is an antiviral. Uh, it is an anti-inflammatory, all right? But remember, it has a dual effect. It not only has an effect on viruses, it has an effect on inflammation. So when we talk about supplements, there's not just one specific thing that they do. This is the beauty of dietary supplements. Let me use another example. Let's talk about omega-3s. What do they do? Or, or let's go back to probiotics. Well, probiotics, the good bacteria, are good for digestion, good for elimination. It's good for detoxification. It's good for boosting your immune system. It's good to support your immune system, excuse me. It's good for B vitamin production. So it's not just one thing. It's the combination. It's the group of how these supplements, of how these dietary supplements work. Look at omega-3s. Look at all the effects of omega-3s. Look at all the effects of vitamin D. Quercetin is the same way. It has numerous applications to get to the same problem. So not only is it beneficial to help support people with allergies, reducing that whole process, but it also has, is, is also very good to help support the health of the immune system because because inflammation or immune function and all of these pieces fit together. And that's where uh, quercetin comes in. But again, I don't use a lot of it. I really don't. I have to be very honest with you. Um, but, but that being said, it is a phenomenal, phenomenal supplement that I know that you really like, Dr. Gell. Talk about what a cytokine storm is and trying to prevent the cytokine storm because that seems to what's been, when people get a very, very bad reaction to COVID-19, that seems to be what kills them. What's happening there is this. You have, and let me compare it this way. You know, you walk out into your backyard and um, you're, you're camping, you're in the woods, you're camping. You've lit a little fire. That little fire, if it's controlled, you can cook your breakfast, you can cook your lunch, you can cook your dinner, and it will keep you warm. All of a sudden, what happens is you walk away and you get sloppy. You come back, your tent's on fire, and all of a sudden now, the woods are on fire, and the plate, it's completely out of control. That's exactly what a cytokine storm is, is that there is an explosion of 
inflammation. The word inflame from the word inflammation comes from the Greek word, which is inflame, which means to set on fire. When you go into this cytokine storm, what has happened is, is that your body has just exploded and there is a fire going on in your body. So what's going to happen? This fire is going to shut down your kidneys, it's going to shut down your liver, it's going to shut down your heart, your brain, and you go into what is called ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome. That's what's happening. So we have to do everything we can to prevent this storm from happening. And Dr. Gelb, I'll mention this to you, but I'm going to mention this with a caveat, all right? Just two days ago here in New Jersey, so today is the 23rd of, of March. A couple of days ago, um, somebody went into the hospital at one of the, our hospitals locally, and they were in a in respiratory distress. They were going into ARDS, which is respiratory shutdown, basically. And a friend of mine was called in, and he gave them. You mentioned stem cells before. He gave them intravenous exosomes in the hospital. In 24 hours, the person was better. Wow. So, you know, there are new therapies that are out there. There are new things happening out there. In fact, I got, I got the text from him saying, Derek, what I, guess what I just did. And in the hospital, in the hospital, this person had, was dying. So there are modalities, there are treatments that we need to open up our minds and open up our brains to that really do work. And if there's nothing else, that's why I said to you, anything ever happens to me, you got carte blanche on me. Do whatever you want, because you never know. There's so many new modalities. Let's not close ourselves off. Let's open up our minds. If nothing else, let's open up our minds to wellness and do all the pieces. Do your diet. Do your exercise. Go for your walks. Make sure you sleep, right? Sleep. you got to sleep. Don't stay up till two o'clock in the morning watching movies and, and eating potato chips and drinking sodas. Don't do that. Keep a regular schedule. Go, I went to sleep at 11.15 last night, my usual time, 11, 11.15, and I woke up at seven o'clock this morning, my usual time. If, you're, if your body senses that you need more sleep, sleep. Remember, watch animals. If your dog is not feeling well, they don't want to eat and they want to sleep. This is what you need to do. Listen to what your body is telling you to do and be open to all of these modalities that are out there to help you. Well, I want to thank Dr. DeSilva for joining us today. Dr. DeSilva, if people want to find out more about you, how could they do that? Oh my goodness, there's all kinds of, all kinds of uh, propaganda about me on the internet so you can look there <laughs> but uh, if you want to get a hold of some of our supplements again I mean look my whole family uses them I like them my mom, I use them you use you use them I know 
Uh, it's uh, www.cs, which stands for common sense dash supplements.com. We've got a great little immune pack that you can pick up. But again, do the basics, folks. Do the basics. And, and thank you for allowing me to mention that, Dr. Gell. I appreciate that. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Silva. This is Dr. Kerry Gell from Open Your Eyes. Until next time, thank you for joining us.